Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Monday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch with you and Derek Decker filling in for Justin Kinney with us this morning. Justin will be back tomorrow. Just a planned day off for Justin down in Gatlinburg. Extended uh, his weekend trip, so he'll be back with us tomorrow. But Derek, great to have you this morning. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's uh, it, it's starting to feel like spring. Like this is these again. As I said last week, like you get these days and you dream about baseball season. And I know basketball season's heating up. We had a great uh, weekend of high school hoops here on the fan. And other stuff too. We got plenty to talk about on the hoop side of things, but it makes me long for those sunny spring days when get into baseball season and spring training has already reached full swing. Yeah, and we'll have a baseball note in headlines this mor- this morning coming up uh, on the show. The Comets big weekend for the K's. Plus Purdue makes Chrysler Center their home and a win over Michigan yesterday. IU's free fall continues in a loss at Penn State. Plus an hour number two. I'll tell you why you should buy Purdue in March. I know a lot of people are just waiting for them to choke, but I am not, and I'll tell you why. Plus, the one scenario that could possibly get Mike Woodson fired and one of the Colts' targets, perhaps, in free agency to bolster the wide receiver room, Justin's favorite uh, option, off the table. We'll get to all that. And the first ever Florida Man games were held over the weekend in St. Augustine. No, I have no <laughs> words that I will say I was uh, I was having dinner last night at a at a sports bar and I noticed I, I don't know if what was going on yesterday, but like, I don't know if like equestrian or like horse day or something like that. But there happened to be a TV on in there that was on ESPN News and it went from polo to a Grand Prix, and that that is what was the Sunday evening. Granted, I know Sunday evenings can be kind of weak <laughs> on sports slates when it's not football season, but uh, I don't know. So I, I'm I'm interested to see what's going on here with the Florida Man games because I have no idea what to expect. I'll be completely <laughs> honest. So I remember Justin and I talking about this when it was announced. So the event finally came and, and went in from everything I have read. It was a massive success. We'll, we'll mm. tell you about some of the categories uh, just a, a wild time that could only happen in Florida. So let's dive into headlines and we start with the NFL and the salary cap is set for 2024 record breaking $255.4 million up more than 30 million from last year's cap number and well beyond any of the estimates. So just a, a massive shift for the NFL. So uh, as quarterback contracts continue to balloon, I'm sure teams are going to like seeing that the cap has gone up significantly. Yeah, and I think a good chunk of teams are not going to have any problem getting up to that point, right? It's going to be used, it's going to be utilized, and I think this is really a play that that helps big market teams more than anybody. I mean, obviously, anytime you raise the salary cap, that's kind of what you deal with. Um, But it's still a league with a salary cap. I mean, once we get into baseball season, that's not something that uh, is something that has a completely different structure. So... I don't know. I, I think it's it's probably, again, a good thing. It benefits big market teams, and you're right. These quarterbacks and uh, skill players, even wide receivers, we've seen get pretty significant contracts over the last few years. So how does that impact teams going forward? How does that impact potentially the next class of players coming out of college that will be making a splash in the NFL? Will, work it, will rookie contracts start to go up? What's the question with that? Uh, certainly a lot of uh, trickle-down coming in through this, but that's a, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal, and I think sometimes during the NFL offseason, even though they're great at keeping the cycle, the new cycle alive, 
this is a really important thing and it, it needs to be thought about as we get into next season because it kind of changes the game a little bit with uh, players that could be in the running for certain teams. It certainly opened things up. So 13.6% increase uh, from last year and also obviously the largest uh, jump from one year to the next since the cap was introduced in 1994. Continuing on with headlines, uh, we talk about one of the biggest stories of the weekend and that, of course, the court storming Wake Forest upsetting Duke uh, in uh, Winston-Salem. And, of course, Kyle Filipowski injured his ankle uh, as the Wake fans were on the court before the buzzer even sounded and, and went off. Here's my thing with the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like with Caitlin Clark, we were only talking about it because it involved Caitlin Clark. Um, we're only talking about this because it involves Duke. If it was Purdue, which Purdue has been court stormed seemingly every road game the last handful of years, no one's talking about that, right? And I get it. We're talking about it because Filipowski got hurt. It, it's a sprained ankle. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think this whole thing's overblown because a lot of the college basketball media is either, you know, former Duke players or people <laughs> connected to Duke or Duke apologists. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hate to go down this road again because it's almost the same thing with Caitlin Clark. Like, there's different different angles of the video that kind of looks like he trips a dude yes. right before he gets crushed. So I, I'm not and listen. This is not defending any of the the fans' actions. This is not defending storming the court before you get off. I I think one time it happened. Um, if I'm thinking back to the Nebraska game for Purdue, uh, I believe Matt Painter called a timeout in that game and then got everybody and just like walked him back to the locker room and let the clock ran out, or, or they just walked off the floor with a few seconds left. Like, I think that's that's kind of the case. Now, granted, this was a lot closer of a game. Purdue was getting pretty much dominated at the end of that game. Had no chance of coming back. But this is like the same conversation we continue to have. And while I am 100% pro-court storming, I have no problem with it. I think I, I'm glad it happens. I think it's a great, unique thing about college sports. You just have to have your security people on the same team. I mean, you, you just have to you have to have the idea that this could happen anytime a top twenty five team comes in or a uh, a big name opponent like Duke comes in. You you know that this is a possibility of happening. So how this keeps happening, you know this this unfettered access to just running on without any security measures in place. Again, it's not like. They, they mounted some 15-point comeback in the last minute, minute and a half of the game. That's not what happened. It was close the entire way. You have got to have your people down there, and you've got to protect the, the players that are walking off the floor, and that's really the most important thing is getting them off the floor and then let the fans come on. I, I, just, I know it's not easy because everything happens really quickly, but this once again just showcases like the, the wrong way to do it. Um, uh, I don't know. It, there are a few places where we've seen it in the past. Like, you, how can you be good, quote unquote, at court storming? Like, how do you do that right? Right? Because <laughs> if you're court storming, you're typically not always, but you're typically a program that uh, isn't of of major stature. You know, Wake Forest has been up and down the last two decades, not really making any splashes. It's uh, kind of the the bottom of the ACC. And I don't know. I just. Uh, there's there's no way to get around it. You can't ban it. it that would be a bane to me. I, I think it's a, a huge mistake to start fining teams hundreds of thousands of dollars like the SEC does for for field storming. But um, you got to figure out a way to to control players getting off the court. That is the most important thing, regardless of whether you think Flip, um, you know, tripped the dude or not. 
you got to get him off and get him in a situation where he doesn't even have the chance to do that. Uh, again, I'll reiterate my point. This is a conversation because of the team that it's involved with. No one's ever complained about Purdue, you know, on the national sense, getting court stormed on road games. I, I guess that's that's the the whole thing is it's because it happened with a high profile program mm-hmm. and that a player was allegedly injured, right? I, I mean, and if we're talking a sprained ankle, okay, yes, that's annoying, and but that's we're not talking about a serious injury here. Some some someone else chipping in. It's the same thing you said uh, at four six eight six two our text line. Uh, you can send us text throughout the day. CK, both of those athletes made contact themselves, talking mm-hmm. about Clark right. and Kyle Filipowski. Why don't the media mention that? Even though it's on video, they say nothing. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, the player ran in, or the, the student ran into Filipowski, but he stuck his foot out. Oh, it, definitely. It's, it's obvious in the video. <laughs> like, it's very obvious. We, we don't need to lie to ourselves about that. So, uh, yeah, I am pro court storming. I understand you need to have better security, but that's on Wake Forest. Um Wake Forest should be apologizing to Duke for not doing a better job in that instance, and and that's really ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, we move on to Major League Baseball. You're a Cubs guy, right? I'm actually a Tigers guy. Tigers guy. But I, I, have, I have tons of friends that are Cubs guys, and I love baseball, so I, I follow the Cubs very closely. So Cody I Bellinger, definitely saw the news over yeah, the weekend. Cody Bellinger back with the Cubs, three-year, $80 million contract. Uh, so that's great news for the Cubs. Uh, Ballinger, who is 28, has opt-outs after the first and second years of the deal. Uh, but still, the, the Cubs get a signature player back, uh, secure him. The market for him never really showed up. Yeah. But uh, for Bellinger, again, sticking with the Cubs, you have to feel better about the Cubs. I mean, Craig Council at, at manager, you get Bellinger back. So you have to feel pretty good going into the season. Yeah, I, I think this is a, an important piece, right? And the Cubs should compete in the NL Central. The, by, by the way, just in terms of overall previews, I think both the NL and AL Centrals are going to take pretty good steps up this year. They have been the laughing stock the last couple of years on both sides. The AL Central worse than the NL Central. Um, but this is this is a different year. I, I really firmly believe there are a couple teams that can make some noise at the top of the NL Central, and the Cubs are one of those teams. And the same thing for the AL Central, where you've got teams that uh, should improve that were really young last year that kind of took some lumps early in the season and grew throughout the year. So this is a big pickup for the Cubs. This is a team that definitely, in my opinion, at this stage right now, assuming everything stays healthy, you know, who knows what kind of moves they make during the season before the deadline. Um, I, I think this is a team that should feel like they need to be in contention once they get to the deadline. This should be a buying team. Uh, come August. So I, I think that's definitely in the cards here for the Cubs, and they are a team that screams wild card to me. I, I think they've got the talent to do it, and you know, as, as much as <laughs> the Cubs fans can be annoying and, and a little bit over the top sometimes with we feel like this is going to happen every year, should be in the playoffs every year, um, th- this might be the year to do it. I, I think they over-exceeded expectations up until the last couple of weeks of last season. And I, I think that's something that will carry over into this year. They've got the personnel to do it. The bats are good. How do they round out pitching is the key for the Cubs. Um, but this is a team that should be in contention. Uh, we go from baseball to NASCAR. And yesterday, a wild finish at Atlanta Motor Speedway track, formerly known for producing mm. some of the worst racing in the series, True. produced one of the best finishes you'll ever see in motorsports. Daniel Suarez edging out Ryan Blaney and Kyle Busch. At the line, a virtual tie decided by less than one hundredth of a second. Uh, a literal photo finish. 
uh, exciting stuff as Suarez gets the win in, in a race and a track that's uh, essentially been uh, redone and now revamped with better racing. Yeah, I, I just remember watching races as a kid there, and it's just like on, on TV, and it's just bumpy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you get the holes, you got the filling cracks. I mean, it is just, it is one heck of an experience to see that. But uh, yeah, that, that was a heck of a finish. You know, I feel like in in terms of racing, we see headlines come up throughout the season, and then once you get toward like the middle of the year, it can kind of get into like that baseball grind where there's like a, a period of time where people aren't really paying attention until you get late toward the playoffs. Uh, same kind of theory, thing for racing, but we're toward the end of the, the beginning of the season here, and there's still a lot of hype. And I think this is this is really good for the sport. It, it's a good thing to have finishes like this, uh, and you know, not have to rely on dudes throwing their helmets off of hoods to make headlines. <laughs> so this is a really good thing. The NASCAR season is a grind, like you said, like baseball. <laughs> there's what the 35 races. Yeah. Um, but to have Atlanta, a, a track historically that's produced terrible racing, and true. I even said it last week, you know, I wasn't even going to be interested in, in this race just because it's Atlanta. So I wasn't interested, but I missed out on a great finish. We go from NASCAR to the NHL. Patrick Kane returns to Chicago and Patrick Kane gets an overtime game winning goal uh, to send the Red Wings to a win over the Blackhawks. Go figure. Hey, mm. just the reunion i mean it just everything writes itself sometimes in hockey and and that is exactly what happened here uh really really cool moment again for the sport just a an awesome moment to see this this guy's a you know i think almost everybody feels like great teammate you know former players current players great friend captain uh thousandth game awesome awesome stuff for him the Indiana Pacers in action last night as they continue their play post All Star break, and they hosted the Dallas Mavericks. Indiana gets a blowout, one thirty three to one eleven win over the Mavs. Miles Turner season high thirty three points to lead Indiana in the win. Tyrus Halliburton had seventeen points and ten assists. Uh, some bench guys with mm-hmm. some big contributions. Right. Ben Shepard with fifteen. He went five of five from three for the Pacers, who. Really a kind of a down game from distance, 14 to 36 from three, but a, a key win. You got to start beating these teams that are also playoff teams. And for the Pacers, you want to make sure you're on the right side, not falling into the play-in. And this is this is a big win for them as they beat a, a playoff Dallas Mavericks team. And for Indiana, it's again just gotta keep grinding out wins and, and make sure you finish ahead of Philly. Yeah, and I'm going to turn this, I'm just like a politician, going to turn this conversation somehow into a conversation about IU basketball. So Mark (laughs) Mark Cuban was back in the state this weekend. He was in Bloomington on Friday at the Bluebird and allegedly uh, got chance of, (laughs) can you buy him out? Uh, while he was at the Bluebird. So it's definitely, there, there's other storylines surrounding, but I'm telling you, this Pacers team, we talked about it a little bit on Friday afternoon. This is a group right now that has all the pieces to make some real noise in the playoffs. Said that all year, they are built to make a run in the playoffs because they are borderline impossible to stop on offense. You know, you, you got to figure out a way to outscore them, and it's really hard to do against the best scoring offense that the NBA has literally ever seen. So it, it is one of those things where it's like, okay, how, how do you try and get this done? They have such a high ceiling because of that offensive firepower. It shows up again, and uh, the Pacers are one of the more exciting teams in the state for a long, long time. Um going back through any level of college or 
Um, NBA basketball, the Pacers taking over here, and it, it is historically a team that has struggled to get attention. So they are getting a little bit of attention this year uh, with Purdue up, but Indiana down. Uh, there's definitely a lot of those. Uh, it's like those Indiana Notre Dame fans, right? They're slipping it off and putting on the blue and gold to watch the Pacers, the Pacers at night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Pacers also details coming in. Highest attended All-Star game in 14 years mm-hmm. with over 190,000 fans in attendance. Unfortunately, they changed the uh, requirements to host an All-Star game with more hotel rooms and other things. I think they have to have like three five-star hotels. So uh, it's great that the Pacers hosted it when they did. Uh, definitely true. But I was also a bunch of people completely complaining about yeah. nothing because there were three because inches of cold. snow. Oh, no, it's three inches of snow in February, and, and people were throwing a fit. You don't so have we'll, to go outside hardly in exactly, downtown. Exactly. Exactly. Like, players are not. This, this is like this is like when that reporter asked the Bucks, how are you going to deal with the cold in Detroit not knowing there's <laughs> a dough? He's like, we're going to be outside for like five minutes all weekend. This is just, <laughs> that's stupid. There, there's no reason to talk about that. And being cold should not be a disqualifier from hosting any kind of event, uh, even though it, it does seem like the last couple of trips through, like when the national championship was in India a couple of years ago, it was ice cold. So it does seem like that's been a, a bit of a trend. But hey, it's wintertime. Like, w- what do you expect? Yeah. And again, the Pacers get to host these events because they do a, jo- a good job yep. hosting yep. these events. They've earned that opportunity. And, and speaking of downtown Indian, Gabridge Fieldhouse, on Saturday, the IHSAA Girls State Finals, and it was up and down for the two area teams participating uh, as Bishop Lures. They get their seventh state championship as they win on Saturday over Brownstown Central. In fact, they'll have their uh, celebration coming up at 2 o'clock this afternoon. You were on the call for that game. Also, uh, you were there for Norwell. Norwell falling to Gibson Southern despite a furious comeback. Yeah, and they did their celebration yesterday afternoon at the castle. Uh, great turnout, by the way. I was over there, and it was an awesome turnout. It was, you know, as described to me as kind of watching uh, <laughs> the the atmosphere at the beginning, and, and honestly, all the way it was was pretty pretty down. I mean, it is a team that expected to be in the mix for a state championship all year. Um, did not reach their ultimate goal. Reached a lot of goals. They won four championships. They won the conference, sectional, regional, and semi-state. First semi-state since 1977. So certainly accomplished a lot of things. The uh, longest drought between trips to the state finals in Indiana Girls High School history. 47 years between trips. Uh, and it ended in absolute heartbreak. No question about it. Down 19 in the second half. And then come all the way back, get it down to one, had a three from the all-time leading scorer at the buzzer that was an open look. Uh, amazingly, they got an open look. You know, Gibson could have fouled when they were up three with five seconds to go, but you got to be able to practice that. Like, it's a it's a philosophy thing. I'm Personally, I'm, I'm glad they didn't. It, it's not me. I wouldn't do it either at the high school game. Um, but... You know, they got their their best three-point shooter of all time, the kid who led the state in three-pointers this year. She made 104 on the season, set a program record, again, the all-time leading scorer, and had an open look at the buzzer. I think any coach would take that every day of the week. We just want a shot at the end of the game. Um, but Norwell ultimately comes up short in their first-ever state championship game appearance for Lures. They were down nine at halftime. I just kind of got the feeling. Brownstown had played about as good as they could play in the first half, and then the game got more physical. It sped up in the second half. Brownstown is such a deliberate team. They really struggled. Once Lures got over that hump late in the third quarter and got the lead, it kind of felt like this game was being close to being over because it just... 
the Lures had the the athletes to deal with it. They had the size. They got the ball in the paint. They even threw in a couple of threes, which is important for a team like that. And uh, Brownstown kind of shut down offensively in the second half. Almost got held to single digits. Tremendous defensive effort in that second half for Bishop Lures and uh, end up coming away with state title number seven. They've won more than anybody except for Heritage Christian in the history of the state, and they have more title appearances than anybody in the history of the state. So great turnout for that game, and glad we got to bring it to you here on The Fan. Absolutely. So we had both games for you on Saturday, and we'll continue with the boys' sectional play. This week we'll have semifinals on Friday in the championship Saturday night from Bluffton in the 2A sectional there for you later this week. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan app. That's free to download or on your smart speaker. Meanwhile, it was a good weekend for the Comets. We were, Last Monday, in fact, exactly a, a week ago, I was looking at the planner, and it's like it was a bad weekend for the K's. Well, they bounce back. They, they not only get two wins, but they get two wins over teams they absolutely have to beat moving forward if they want to make the playoffs. Take down Wheeling on Friday night, which is a team that was really hot. Uh, really going into the weekend uh, as the K's get a win against Wheeling 5-3 to three in West Virginia. And then also on the road yesterday, the K's edge Toledo 3-2. to two. It was tied at, at two apiece going into the third period. The K's get the win there. So they beat the top two teams in the Central. Obviously get some much needed points. They're five points out of second now. They're still clinging to that fourth playoff spot. Uh, but a tough road ahead. They visit Toledo on Friday, then they host Wheeling on Saturday and Indy on Sunday. So it's, again, a lot of divisional games, as we've talked about down the stretch. The K's getting a much-needed weekend sweep. All of the division games are down the stretch. 19 games left, and they're all in the division. So certainly some opportunity here. We're talking to Shane Alberani on Friday, and he said, you know, if they had lost both of the games this weekend, it does turn into desperation. I was asking him, is it desperation or is it just intensity? Hey, we've got to be focused. We've got to be as locked in as we can be. Urgency, not desperation. And the Comets come up with just two massive wins. And on Sunday against a team that they have sucked against this year. Yeah. I mean, the walleye have just owned them in every aspect, pushed them around. They've blown them out several times. So just a tremendous win in a place that is really, really difficult to win. And so, uh, fantastic weekend for the Comets. Again, if they had lost, we'd be talking about something completely different. And these are two huge wins that may end up going a long way into saving the season and potentially a playoff run for the K's uh, come next month. And that's the biggest thing, because they played more games than a lot of the teams in their division. Right. They have to be deliberate in taking advantage of the games ahead of them just because of, of having those extra games played to this point. So a, a big weekend for the K's and we'll see what they can do with three games in three nights coming up this weekend. On the other side, Purdue makes the Chrysler Center their home in a win over Michigan. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kenny here on this Monday. Justin will be back with us tomorrow on the show and uh derek it was it, it's not so much that w- the fact that it can't talk it's not so much that it was the fact it was an easy relatively easy win for purdue in fact michigan gave them more of a, a test than i think you would have expected mm-hmm. it was more the fact that purdue fans made chrysler arena essentially Mackey north yeah, oh yeah. yesterday it was impressive 
Uh, the the cheering and the crowd noise. I mean, the Purdue fans were louder than the Michigan fans in their own arena. If that tells you anything, where the Juwan Howard era is going as Michigan drops to eight and twenty on the season. Purdue now twenty five and three. There, I mean, from this game itself, there's not a whole lot to overanalyze. Yeah, Purdue wasn't great from three. They were okay from the free throw line, which is opposite of what you're, you're normally seeing this season. But it's offensive rebounds, seventeen to nine advantage. It's a plus 13 on rebounding advantage. All the things that make Purdue so tough to beat in Zach Eady tying a season high with 35. Um, this was a game I think Purdue fans probably expected to be an easier win for them. But at the same time, anytime you go on the road and you're essentially the home team, it's hard to not be impressed. Well, I, I think it does say more about Michigan and what, where the state of their program is at. You kind of hit it there with Juwan. <sighs> that that is Michigan basketball for for people that have never been to the Chrysler Center. It's never juiced. It's never juiced. I've been there for big games. I, I've seen them play a couple different teams. I've seen them play Indiana a few times. I've seen it play Indiana when Indiana's good and Michigan's good. And it's just not a good environment. It's a good building, I guess. I mean, it's it's kind of nice. It feels fairly clean. I don't, I don't know. What do you want out of a college basketball place? It's okay. Like the seats are fine. Um, the sight lines are good. It's it's a easy enough place to watch basketball. You know, it's got the the cylinder shape, just like uh, it's kind of similar to Mackie. I mean, except it has seats instead of bleachers. But um, I, it's just it, it's never been good. So it's not surprising that it bottoms out like this. And it boy, this is this is rock bottom for Michigan. This is as bad as it gets. Also, want to remind people for rock bottom's sake for all the people talking about analytics and uh, Juwan and how bad the season's been, they're like seven spots below Indiana and Ken Palm. They're like in the same class. Oh, so, yeah. yeah so they're we'll, both, we'll talk more about they're that. They're both kind of in the segment. same spot. Yeah, that, that just, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I was less impressed by Purdue yesterday. I don't think there's any cause for concern as far as, you know, big picture stuff. Are they crumbling again at the same time of the year? I don't think that we really need to start talking about that yet. Um, obviously, Edie dominated and, uh, even had a great game for Zach Eady, 35 points, um, and goes for 15 rebounds. They were plus 13 on the boards. This is not a whole lot else to talk about. Yeah, Michigan kind of hung around. They shot it ridiculously well in the first half. They made, I think, eight, of the, eight out of their first 12 shots in the game. So, you know, they were hanging in there a little bit, and Purdue never pulled away for the blowout. I think that's the difference, right, between this Purdue team and other ones in the past, where other Purdue teams are squeaking ones out on the road now because they can beat teams by 25 on the road. We're expecting them to do that all the time. You're just not going to be able to do that in the Big Ten, whether it's Michigan or anybody else, even though I think Michigan's uh, without question the worst team in the league. It, it, it is what it is, and I think Purdue did plenty to to pull away. I mean, there's a text that just came in about, hey, Purdue should have blown them out. Are they hitting a wall again? My answer to that is no. Like I don't, Not yet. I don't think there's reason for that yet. We can start talking about this if this becomes you know, a trend through the rest of the regular season. If we get a sample size of another three or four games, they kind of look up and down, maybe, and they do have a couple of quality, uh, quality teams left on their schedule. In fact, probably the most difficult finish of any team in the Big Ten. They go Michigan State, Illinois on the road, and then Wisconsin. That's three hard teams, and I know Wisconsin has really struggled. Michigan State wasn't great last night either, but they... Uh, they weren't great last week, losing right. at home twice. And I, I get it. It's a bad loss. That, I don't know. How much do you chalk up? Same thing for Purdue, right? We just talked about this. You can't have double standards. Are they playing with a little extra juice? Ohio State, because they've got the interim coach and everything else. I don't know. Um, 
But Illinois is difficult. That's a hard place to win anyway. And then Wisconsin at home, you know, that's a team that's going to look for revenge. And it's a team that is really fighting to get back to a spot where they feel like we want to be respected again going into the NCAA tournament since they had that that big lull, which Purdue was heavily involved in starting that uh, that big downturn for Wisconsin. So, again, I, I think this game and the, the environment and everything surrounding it, all the circumstances, really says more about Michigan and where they're at than Purdue. But overall, you know, Edie was Edie, and it, it is what it is. And again, we're going to talk about lawyer here in a second, but <laughs> I've got an opinion on that that carries over from Friday. So please start us on uh, that. Yeah, and, and Michigan is too good of a program historically to have this kind of lack of buzz. But then again, when you have a coach who, you know, was part of a, a previous great era, the Fab mm-hmm. Five, yeah. and they're having so little success. They should be a lot better than what they are. And he's like not going to get us going through. He's not going to get fired <laughs> because of his health issues, right? No. Juwan Howard's not going anywhere, and and you know he actually kind of should have that other chance next year, assuming he's fully healthy. And I think they said on the broadcast yesterday, it's like, yeah, he just started feeling fully healthy within yeah. the last ten days. So I th- I think with all the changes there, he'll be back next year, and rightfully so because of the situation. But with Fletcher Lawyer. We've talked about this at length. We talked about it last week. Looking at his numbers. Yes, he did hit a three. He had nine points. Um, just keep shooting. That's all I'm going to say. Just keep shooting. Purdue needs him. They need him to be able to hit threes and to, to be a, a quality perimeter player. So it's not someone they can just send to the bench and all the hype about Cam Heidi's one big game. Well, he played 19 minutes on Sunday and scored just two points. After having the you know the the scoring outburst with what eighteen in their win over Rutgers at Mackey on Thursday night, so you can't consistently wow, it's count. Almost like I could have seen that coming. Yeah, right. Wow, it, you can't consistently count on Cam Heidi to be Jeez. that player night in and night out. <laughs> I got to tell you something. Listen, I went on a little bit of a rant on Tuesday or on on Friday about it because some people were texting in, and there's people this morning that are still clowning lawyer. That's fine. There isn't a next best option. Okay, Heidi is not going to go for ten or twelve or fifteen points ever. He's never going to do that. He scored two points in nineteen minutes. That is what you're going to get from Cameron Heidi. So. Just stop, pump on the brakes a little bit. This is a classic overreaction. Yes, I understand he hasn't been good this month. Okay, so we went through this uh, on Friday and went through his three-point shooting. By the way, he made one. So he is, let's see, two for 12 in the month of February from three. He's still over 40% for the year, which, by the way, is an 8% improvement over last season. While I think there maybe can be some concerns defensively, I get it. I totally understand Hey, we need some better options defensively. If you want to throw Heidi in there, I don't know how much better of a defender that Heidi is. He's got a little bit more length, a little bit more size. There is nothing else that he can do offensively that lawyer can't do. Slumping, yes. Reason for concern, absolutely not. This is a guy, in my opinion, that will be hot again by March. You can, I, I will book it. I will stamp my name to that for a couple weeks down the road when it is time Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament. I think lawyer is going to be once again in form. Shooters go through slumps all the time, and that is what he's that. That's what he is. That is what he's on the floor to do. He's not on the floor to be an A plus defender. He's on the floor to shoot it and distribute. And, and I think he does a tremendous job of doing that. He's a catch and shoot kind of guy. He can create from three anywhere. He needs to be in the lineup all the time. So just stop complaining about lawyer and settle down just a little bit. I think Lawyer actually needs to shoot more. It almost feels like he's become hesitant to shoot. It's a mind game, right? Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's just, all, it feels happens. all mental. He'll he'll snap out of it. And for Purdue, the good news is he's going through this rough patch now, right? And not right. say in the Big Ten tournament or in in, in March in the that's NCAA right. tournament. Definitely. So that's why I'm not that concerned. Nah. Uh, while on the other side, very concerned with Indiana. Their free fall <laughs> continues in a loss at Penn State. IU drops their fourth straight game. We'll talk about what happened and why. Well, there's no reason to believe anything positive the rest of the way. That's next. It's Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker with you here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Derek Decker in for Justin this morning. Justin will be back uh, tomorrow enjoying some time in Gatlinburg. In fact, he's, he's probably really not enjoying his time now because they're probably getting ready to drive home at the moment. But uh, Derek Decker filling in and uh, he'll be with us all day on the show and you had the opportunity to fill in on the sports rush on Friday to mm-hmm. call high school basketball, girls state finals, Bishop right. Lures, getting a state title on Saturday. So it's been a busy weekend for you here, uh, filling in on 1380 The Fan. Uh, one note that came in, uh, Peter King stepping away. Yeah. Longtime football writer, uh, but uh, he posted his column and he is stepping away from... Uh, being a, a longtime sports writer, and he started off his column saying, I'd really like to watch the Super Bowl on TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's fun. So he, he says he is retiring, doesn't know what the future holds. He uh, won't be doing football morning in America, formerly, of course, Monday morning quarterback, uh, but he is stepping away for now. But uh, yeah, it's been obviously a great career for him. With football, I remember reading Monday Morning Quarterback for years and years and years. So, um, uh, a great career for him. 46862 is your text line number. Again, 46862. Uh, a couple of texts I want to get to. Uh, CK, how bad is Michigan? IU won at Michigan. That's how bad. <laughs> LOL. Um, Facts. You have a point. Someone else saying it, it's hard because Purdue has had many shooters over the years. The majority of them have not been consistent or showed up when needed. Mm. I don't know. See, uh, here's... Uh, that's, that's just not true. Like that's just not true. Like, we're going to sit here and talk about how Jaden Ivey wasn't good. Like, we're going to talk about Carson Edwards not being good. Like, come on. Like, that's just, nope, 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 nope. That's just, I get it. You're hurt, and people are hurt because of the tournament losses, and that's totally fair. You know, the history of Purdue basketball is heartbreaking in the tournament. Totally get it. There's reasons to be skeptical, and, and it's easy for somebody to sit here and say, well, this team's different than every team in the past, and, like it's like saying the same thing to Indiana fans, right? You you're thinking they they don't win in the tournament. You, you just I I understand the pain, but you have to try and at at very least be cautiously optimistic about this team because this is the best team for all the good teams that Purdue has had in the regular season. This is the best one that Matt Painter's had ever had and it's not even close. No. Like this this team is like leaps and bounds ahead of last year's team. Doesn't mean they're not going to have March heartbreak. Not saying that. Look, Caleb's got an opinion on that coming up later. <laughs> um but I I just yeah, just stop being negative. <laughs> like I I get it. I get it. But just but don't be negative. There's no reason to be negative and say, "Well, shooters don't show up and they need to show up." Shooters are shooters, man. That it's it's an individual thing. Every dude that comes through every program is different. Okay, they're not connected to all the the bad mojo that exists in the past. So there has to be some balance there where we say, hey, this guy is a good shooter. Also, I can't believe the amount of of hate this guy's getting in Fort Wayne of all places. We were talking about the lawyer thing like 
ad nauseum on Friday. And I just cannot believe the skepticism around Lawyer, who has been a proven and consistent shooter. He is a sophomore and playing in a program where guys stay for four or five years all the time with Matt Painter. So there's no reason to think that he's not going to show up now or show up in the future when Purdue ultimately has good or great teams again in the next couple of years. There are three main reasons why I'm inclined to root for this Purdue team. Uh, Reason number one, Fletcher Lawyer from Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. Reason number two, Caleb First from Fort Wayne. And reason number three, perhaps my biggest reason, Braden Smith is a Westfield grad where I went to high school. So Mm. I I have my own biases with this Purdue team, and I will admit that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's hard for me to... To not, you know, I can't root against Braden Smith. Um, that's just the the well, reality. Well, and he's one of the most improved guards in the country. Yeah, like, there's no question about that. So it's it's hard not to root for a guy that was a big reason, in my opinion. And I'm I'm not staking one loss or multiple losses on any guy, but he was a a big factor in the reason why they they lost last year in the NCAA tournament. And I think he could be the the catalyst or the reason they win. Obviously, you know, everybody the the. What's the season-long storyline been for Purdue? The addition of Lance Jones has changed the way things yeah. operate. But how much has that helped Braden Smith is is the biggest thing to me. It's allowed him to not have to control things constantly. There's another guy in the backcourt that can do that, and it has helped his game immensely. They play so free, and it's a Purdue offense, I think, that is second to none in the country. I've said that all year long. They have their moments defensively, especially when E's out of the game, where they do struggle to get stops from time to time. They give up some threes. They're not a perfect defensive team, but they are pretty much unstoppable on offense. Lance Jones is who Matt Painter hoped he was getting in David Jenkins. But enough about Purdue. Uh, let's talk Indiana. Their free fall continues. Do we have to? Uh, we do. Uh, their free fall continues in a loss at Penn State. Fourth straight loss on the season, and, and the way this is playing out, it's not looking good. Um, you have Mike Woodson putting McKenzie Mbaco on the bench uh, as he got his second foul, just about under 15 minutes left. Didn't play the rest of the first oh, half. We've never seen that before. Yeah, right? Uh, so that mistake made yet again. I didn't make a three until a minute 31 left in the game. They hit two late threes. The, the game was already out of control. Uh, it, this is the, it's the same problems over and over again, right? Poor free throw shooting, 14 to 25 for 56%, just two of 15 from three. Um, this is who this team is. They can't mm-hmm. shoot free throws. They can't shoot threes. In my opinion, this team has completely quit. And the Penn State loss, not on Saturday, with the one a couple weeks ago when they lost at Assembly Hall, that was it for this team this season. Uh, they collapsed in that game, and that's all she wrote for IU basketball for the 23-24 season. And this was just another data point and more data points to come oh, yeah. of, of that playing out. Well, you're absolutely right about losing in the same way. Um, you just compare stuff. They have zero ability to make threes. The, the sad part is, as you mentioned... <laughs> Here's here's the biggest thing that sticks out to me. You run an offense that is designed to get points in the paint, which is fine, okay? And I, I'm not attacking that at the moment. I could attack that a different time. But it's designed to get points in the paint and never shoot threes. Well, that means the ball is always in the hands of guys that shoot 64% at the foul line. That's not going to be a recipe for success. I mean, they, 50, they were 14 for 25. They were 56% on Saturday afternoon. And by the way, Penn State went 26 for 30, which is ridiculously good. Uh, Indiana also, if you if you're into this, if you're into 
you want to just make excuses and say it's just bad luck. Opponents are shooting over 74% against Indiana at the foul line this year. Some of that is actually hard luck, but you have to... Yeah, it's the old saying about making your own luck, right? Uh, Indiana has not done a good job of doing that. Hey, it's great. They made 64% of their shots inside of the three-point line. They get shots at the rim. They're good at doing that. They have two really good bigs. There's no question about it. It's one of the best big man tandem in the league. It might be the best big man tandem in the league with Malik Renew and uh, and Khalil Ware. And, and those two guys work together well. I think they're both um, potential guys that could play at the next level. I think um, when you talk about a guy like Renew, he's a different kind of player. He's not quick, so you have to find a different role for him. But Ware is, a, in my opinion, a, a slam dunk next level player. I, I think he's going to be a starter soon on an NBA team. Um, but that does not change things for Indiana right now. The sad thing is they have three five stars on this team and they are the they are in the same class as Michigan. And, you know, we could be talking about below that class if they hadn't squeaked out an early season road win at Michigan in a game they did not play well in. So you, you talked about the three point shooting and the free throw shooting. So by the numbers during the four game losing streak, <laughs> IU, this is wild. I use 49 of 85 from the free throw line, 57%. That's horrible. Uh, as a team, you want to be above 70%, yeah, right? Definitely. That's that's kind of the goal. That's kind of the benchmark. Uh, uh, they're aver- well below that. Right. Average in D1 is seven, just below 72. Yeah. So, so that, that's that's kind of the kind of the 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 number and some of the really great teams around 80, but most teams between mm-hmm. 70 and 74. Uh, three point shooting, 16 of 70, which is 22%. You compare that with their opponents. Free throw shooting for their opponents during this four-game losing streak, 78 for 105 or 74%. Again, solid number. What they sh- what what IU should be. Three-point shooting, 39 of 98 or 39%, which is actually quite good. Very good. So that just goes to show you how far off IU is when it comes to shooting, and not because they don't have shooters. Uh, they have shooters. They just aren't hitting the barn. Well, they're also not designed to get three point shots. They, they again, you have you have a, an offense that is not designed for open threes. It's just not. <laughs> so they're broken. Their their offense is broken uh, with the personnel that they have. It just this is not going to change. I mean, it, it's it's one thing, and this is what I've said for pretty much all season. When Indiana had start hitting bad times in the Big Ten, you just you can't lose in the same ways over and over and unfortunately that is what's happening it is this listen i was in bloomington when archie's last season was happening um was covering the team intently at the time and i you know was heavily involved in in every game down the stretch that archie lost okay that where you could feel okay this is going to happen and it cultivated with him getting booed off the court at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in the Big Ten tournament that year. And in a COVID year, no less, Indiana fans <laughs> streamed into Lucas Oil in a capacity-reduced crowd to boo off Archie Miller uh, and really, really sad way to end. We are closing in on that potential happening. Now, it's going to be in Minneapolis. There's not going to be that many fans there, more than likely, because Indiana's beeline for a Wednesday game. Um, no question about that. And they... Again, the games they've got left, as I've said, you know, when you go back to the Ohio State game, they were favored in zero of their remaining games. They're still favored in none of their remaining games. Big shocker. And Ken Palm gives them less than a 31% chance to win any of those four. So (laughs) you got to go with Wisconsin, Maryland, Minnesota, 
and Michigan State. Maryland, Minnesota in the middle there on the road. Michigan State certainly playing for stuff. Oh, actually, actually, all four of those teams still have plenty to play for at this point in the season. They're all trying to make NCAA tournament pushes. Maryland, I think, is underachieved. Um, but in my opinion, could be a sneaky team that may make a run in the Big Ten tournament. Leaks get to like Saturday and make some noise. Penn State feels like one of those teams. Yeah, that could Penn do that. State could be that team too. Uh, Indiana's not going to be one of those teams. It is boiling down to a point where you have the same things happening over and over again. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know how how much longer you can do it. You know the the whole twelve point six million. Anybody got that laying around? We're going to talk about that more in the second se- in the second hour. But I, I just have to say, as far as Indiana goes right now. The way this is shaping up, how much different would the narrative be genuinely if Indiana had not completed that massive comeback against Ohio State, if they had lost that one too? Because that'd be six in a row with the Penn State game. Um, If they lose out, which is not unreasonable to think they might do. um, Well, I I feel the same way. I said this for a bit. They'll be lucky to win another game this season. Yes. Um, You know, if they they lose out, they'll finish the the season on an eight-game losing streak. That is and should be for all the people that say, oh, Indiana's fallen as a program. Well, they definitely have. I mean, it's not a program that is at its standards that it wants to be. But at Indiana, you cannot accept that. That is not an acceptable number. You cannot have an eight-game losing streak. Uh, there, There is no room for that. There's no reason that should happen for Indiana program with the resources and the talent and the talent that they have. You are a chronically and crucially mismanaged team if you go on an eight-game losing streak with three five-stars. I'm just saying, and I'm and I'm not going to be the guy that puts all the stock into high school rankings about it's all about the star ranking and whatever. And I mean, you've got two coaches at Indiana that think completely differently on that level, right? Uh, in in the football program with the new vision of Kurt Signetti, what's a star ranking? Like that was like his first quote in the presser. He's like, I've never looked at a kid's star ranking, uh, but that is it, it's it is. A fair measurement most of the time. Yes, guys slip through the cracks. It's not always perfect, but it's reasonable to assume that you have enough talent on this roster to at least be in the top half. And that is not asking that much for a program that pours more money into basketball than any other program in the Big Ten. And uh, unfortunately, that's not been the case for Indiana. They have not gotten their wish. And in, in my opinion, honestly, this may come down to Quinn Buckner and how that thing works. Because for people who don't know, Quinn Buckner has more pull than anybody else on the Indiana basketball program. He's a trustee. He has more more pull than Scott Dolson. I, I wouldn't go as far to say as Dolson is his puppet, but I'm telling you, in, in terms of the way the athletic department works, for the basketball program only, it is Quinn Buckner's voice that matters most. He is the loudest voice in the room. Obvious buddies with Mike Woodson. Does that play a factor? Maybe. Maybe people come up with the money, but I I see those two defending each other. I see Quinn defending Mike at least for another season. Unfortunately, I think you're you're really messing with a time period that's not good to mess around in because you've got a chance to really capitalize. Again, Indiana is has been and is on the leading edge of NIL stuff. They were on the leading edge before NIL was a thing. They had a plan when lots of Big Ten teams did not. There's plenty of money in the program. Indiana is one of the best financially supported universities for college athletics in the country. They were the most profitable athletic department in the nation last season. For them not to have an acceptable back- basketball product is is really pitiful. It's disappointing. And uh, at at that point, 
Indiana can throw money at any of its problems. It's not going to fix it until you have a guy that can change the culture. Mike Woodson promised to change the culture. He has completely failed at doing that. There is zero accountability for him or his players. And his version of accountability is calling guys out every single post game when nobody calls Mike Woodson out because nobody gets a chance to uh, and acting like Mike Woodson has perfect schemes all the time. He does not put Indiana in a position to succeed. So I'm not taking a side on whether he should be fired or not, but he does not put Indiana in a position to succeed. And that has been the reality all season. And he had an interesting comment uh, against Penn State uh, after the game that we'll get to also coming up next hour. Real quick before we wrap up this hour, Purdue-Fort Wayne men get a split over the weekend. They went on Friday at Green Bay. Uh, the road trip continued on Sunday, losing by eight to Milwaukee on the road, so a split. Meanwhile, congrats to the women as they have clinched a home game for the quarterfinal of the Horizon League uh, Tournament Championship. It'll be March 7th at the Gates Sports Center. Coming up on the other side, why you should buy Purdue. Yes, buy Purdue in March. I'll tell you the one reason why. That's coming up next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker, in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney. Justin will return tomorrow, enjoying an extended weekend down in Gatlinburg. Uh, but Derek Decker with us. You can always hit us up on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. If you miss anything in hour number one, don't forget you can always listen in on the podcast. Uh, Caleb and Kenny, just search for it on your favorite podcasting platform. That will be up around 10, 30, 11 o'clock each and every day after the show. And as always, you can stream us 1380thefan.com via the 1380 The Fan app or on your smart speaker. Coming up this hour of the show, why you should buy Purdue in March. Not sell, but buy. I'll explain. Plus, the one scenario that could get Mike Woodson fired and a move by the Bengals that chips away another potential marquee free agent wide receiver target for the Colts. And before we leave you, after 850, the first ever Florida Man Games held in St. Augustine. We'll tell you about some of the wild events that they had for this uh, special, special weekend down in Florida. 46862, again, your text line number. And Purdue getting a win yesterday at the Chrysler Center. And what essentially was a home game with so many Purdue fans in attendance. Spoilers get a win. Uh, Michigan played them tough for a while, but Purdue able to pull away in the end of that game. And one of the reasons why, and yesterday didn't showcase that, mind you, but one of the reasons why I am buying Purdue, especially over last season, which I get it, everyone wants to compare this year's team to last year's team, even though I feel like they are very, very different teams in yes. terms of personnel, talent, ability. Uh, the, the freshmen aren't the liabilities because now they're sophomores and Braden Smith is one of the best point guards in the game. Obviously, Zach Eady still Zach Eady. Lance Jones is a massive upgrade over David Jenkins. And that's played out this season. Uh, Purdue just has so much more depth, right? And that's that's the biggest thing. They're, they have freshmen who can you know, come in off the bench or, or sophomores who can come in off the bench, who aren't necessarily counted on, unlike last season. Um, but the one reason I'm buying Purdue. So last season, the Achilles heel for this Purdue team was a simple one. It was three-point shooting. They are 291st in the NCAA, just 32.2%. And that was part of their downfall in March, especially in the NCAA tournament, because they were hot shooting throughout the Big Ten. Right, David Jenkins was on a heater the entire Big Ten tournament championship run. And then that obviously completely went away in the loss to FDU. 
Purdue this year, they're number two in the NCAA in three-point percentage, 40.6%. They're briefly number one as Kentucky at the moment, Uh, but Purdue has slipped to number two. In fact, they've slipped a little bit more down to uh, 40.2% when you add in yesterday's stats. So this is why I'm still buying Purdue. I get a lot of people are either ready to jump off or were never believers because of, well, quite honestly, the the narrative, right? It's the only reason. And that's the only reason. The narrative is the only reason that people are hanging on and it's that, oh, well, Matt Painter can't win in March. Well, that has nothing really to do with the players on the floor. That's just a narrative. Yep. And also, that's not true because yeah, he definitely. has an Elite Eight appearance. He has multiple uh, Sweet Sixteen. A chip in away from being in the Final Four. I yes. Uh, like a crazy play yeah. away. One of the most ridiculous plays you've ever <laughs> seen in the NCAA tournament away. Yeah. Is that Matt Painter's fault? Like, stop. No. No. Uh, that was just an outstanding play and one of the biggest moments. And, and Purdue was, unfortunately, on the losing end of it. So the, the, the saying that Matt Painter can't win in March... Is not true because his elite eight was back in 2019. All right. And that's recent enough for that to matter. And they have a sweet 16 appearance just a couple years ago. Right. And, and, but because they lost to St. Peter's, that's why people are saying, Oh, Matt Painter can't win in March, but that was a sweet 16 team. Uh, Yes. Last year was a first round loss. And one of, one of the worst losses we've we've seen in the NCAA tournament and NCAA tournament history in terms of a one and a 16, Mm -hmm. but that's one data point. Yeah. So, really, to me, the three-point shooting is the biggest reason why this Purdue team is different. You can throw in the ancillary reasons, right? The freshmen are now sophomores. Uh, Lance Jones has been huge. He's no David Jenkins. Uh, and and despite the struggles by Fletcher Lawyer, he's still nearly 9% better shooting threes this season compared to last season. So even that, like you, you I get everyone's blasting Lawyer and has been for the last week or two. Dumb, but he's just gone cold. He'll be fine. He'll figure it out. Shoot or shoot. Let me let me be choosy with what I say here. I I, I will. First of all, I agree with you. I, I think there is no reason. The only reason that anybody has said that they're not going to win in March is because of what happened last year and what happened against St. Peter's and what happened against North Texas in 2021. Yes, it's been a, a string of horrendous NCAA tournament losses for Purdue against teams that are that that would have been their worst regular season loss in program history. I mean, FDU was one of the worst teams in college basketball last year. Yeah, this year. was the lur- worst NCAA tournament loss ever by a team ever. Ever. Ever ever ever. Uh and so here's I get it. I understand being scarred by that. Here let me do play devil's advocate though, okay? I go back to the beginning of the season. They had a very similar start last year, right? They had the impressive early season wins last season. They had the same thing this year where they took down the Zags, turned out to be not that good, took down Tennessee, really good win in a kind of a grinded out sort of game. And the Marquette's also very good, and they won that game. Yes, they were close. That was early in the season. They beat Alabama up in Canada. They beat Arizona in what was basically a home game. It was on a neutral court, but it was an indie and definitely a pro-Purdue crowd. The biggest difference, I would say, between last year and this year, if you want to be a hater of Purdue, the Big Ten schedule has been completely different. Uh, the Big Ten is so far down this year from where it was at last season. And yes, Purdue still has, even with all that considered, think about this, still has a number three uh, schedule strength in the country if you look at it in terms of uh, of Ken Palm. 
Okay, so still basically one of the most difficult schedules in the country. But they have not been challenged as much in Big Ten play. They have lost to two teams that aren't on their level. One of them is a uh, non-tournament team. The other is probably a tournament team in Nebraska, especially after their win last night over Minnesota. That's, what, when's the last time you could say, think back in the Big Ten, when's the last time you could say, this is a pivotal game? Minnesota at Nebraska on a Sunday <laughs> night in late February. That was on Big Ten Network, right? <laughs> right. But it was that's a battle of two teams fighting for an NCAA tournament berth. Yes, yes. And those are two teams. I mean, think about it. Nebraska, you could kind of see the writing. Like, they were getting better last year. They they kind of hung around in some games. Minnesota was horrible last year. They had two wins in the Big Ten. Ben Johnson has taken that team to uh, a, you know, a fringe NCAA tournament squad. Uh, and definitely at least a lock for the NIT, which is a step for Minnesota. So either way, they're going to be playing postseason basketball. Um, but there's just, you look at the the winning streak that was ended by Ohio State. Okay, so they had a, a nine-game winning streak in there. And the best team they played was Wisconsin on the road. That's, in fact, the only team they played that was ranked better than 43 in Ken Palm. So they have not had a difficult stretch of games. This is a different Big Ten this year. Granted, they have dominated these teams, which is different than other years. I, I do think there is something to be said, though, that they haven't played like an elite national team in a really long time. So the unfortunate part about that for Purdue is there's nobody else that's going to challenge them in the league. Um, you know, they might lose in the Big Ten tournament, but it's not going to be to a great team. I think Illinois is good. Illinois, yeah, you talk about a team that can't win in March. That's a different story with Brad Underwood. That yeah. they <laughs> and, and Iowa too, for that example. Iowa which well, Iowa's yes. not gonna be a, a tournament no. team unless they go on a heater in the Big Ten tournament. Well, that's happened before. Indiana's a prime example of that <laughs> a couple years ago with uh, Jordan Bohannon. But um I, I just think that if you want to be a guy that could start to pick apart Purdue a little bit, this is nothing against Purdue, by the way. You can't control what's on your schedule in the Big Ten. It is what it is. The other teams around them aren't good. They're winning games, and they're convincing most of the time. Like, what else can you ask Purdue to do? All I'm saying is this is setting up to be, okay, have they, how, how do they respond to pressure for the first time in a long time? Because they're probably going to trail at some point, either in the, in the NCAA tournament, Big Ten tournament, whatever, when the heat starts to get up, you know, how do they respond to that, knowing that it's been two months, two and a half months since they've played an elite team that they're going to face sometime deep in the tournament if they make it that far? So that that's the biggest question mark for me. But again, that's it's really a just a, a question mark that you can't answer and you can't control. So I am firmly in confidence with this Purdue team right now. There's no reason to think that they're going to lose early in March. Um, not saying they're going to win the national championship. I, I still think... As I said at the beginning of the year, well, I actually I changed my narrative at the beginning of the year. I, I said I said Kansas was going to be the best super team of the decade. That has not turned out <laughs> quite so. I own it. I own it. They don't um, even pass the metrics test to win a championship. No, 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 no. no. But UConn does, and yes. UConn. I'm telling you, I I've seen them play probably 12, 13 games this year, like full games. They are that good. When, they are, when they are UConn is good. fully healthy, which has been an issue this season. Yes. But when they're fully healthy, they are the best team. Uh, Purdue mm. and Houston are right there. They're all right there. And those three teams have clearly separated themselves from everyone else. Mm-hmm. But UConn is the best team in college basketball when healthy. Now, Houston will probably be number one when the polls come out uh, today. And Purdue will, will probably move up a spot right from three to two. But that's a, that's the reality. And... Let's also not forget about in terms of the tournament, if Purdue is a one seed, which they are tracking to be unless there's some colossal collapse to close out the season, uh, they don't have to win the Big Ten tournament, for example, to to stay a one. Mm -hmm. But 
they will play in Indianapolis if yes. if they're a, a top what top four seed in in their region. So they're gonna be a one, and they'll be it doesn't a matter. So it, that's essentially no two two home games. Mm-hmm. I, I get the last year was in Columbus, but this is actually a lot easier to, for for Purdue fans. Yeah, I need to check too. I think this is still the year they're in Gamebridge. Because next year they'll be in Lucas Oil because they're preparing for the Final Four the following yeah. year. So I, I think this one's this still is in Game Bridge. Correct. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's a place that, well, number one, they've already played this year, but have played many years in the past. Purdue has, you know, just like every other Big Ten team, played Big Ten tournaments in that building. They have played NCAA tournaments in that building. Um, going to be 95% Purdue crowd. So it's it's going to be a massive advantage. So granted, they did lose to North Texas at Lucas Oil, but that was a COVID year where they sure. didn't have the crowd advantage, and you're playing with the curtain in between the two courts or whatever. And <laughs> yeah, it's a little in different a football stadium, so not the same. But they there is at least some precedent, even though it's not exactly the same for them losing an in Indy to a double digit seed. As we've learned in college football, that COVID season, uh, mm. that was a unique thing. <laughs> Uh, I know why you're <laughs> for chuckling. one for one in-state team. Yes, yes. In, in particular. So I'm not going to hold it against in college basketball because it was there's a lot of chaotic stuff yeah. behind the scenes as well that year. So I'm not going to really drive home that data point. But I, I guess my question to you, uh, the listener at, at four, six, eight, six, two, what's holding you back from picking Purdue to go deep in March beyond the narrative? Because that's really the only thing I can pick apart with this team. Uh, they're a great three-point shooting team. That was a, a problem last year. They have a lot more experience. They have guys who can step up beyond Zach Eady. That was a problem last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, the Big Ten is, is weak, and maybe that's your reasoning, but the Pac-12 is weak. Does that mean we all think Arizona is suddenly bad? No. Um, there are other conferences that are weak. I mean, the ACC, right? It's Duke, North Carolina, and a bunch of teams, as it has been for a lot of years now. Yes, Wake Forest will probably make the NCAA tournament now based on their upset win, but there there aren't a lot of good teams there either, right? It, it's not the Big 12. It's not even the SEC in terms mm-hmm. of the depth, but that's been the case for a bit. So what what is holding you back from <laughs> someone already texting in reality, <laughs> which yeah, that, that's fair, <laughs> right? You can you can say reality is, is being the reason as to why, but let us know the text line at 46862. Just put in CK before your message. What's holding you back from Purdue as, as far as beyond just the narrative of Matt Painter in March, which let's remind you, Sweet 16 in 2022, Elite 8 in 2019, as far as recent March success. On the opposite end of that spectrum is Indiana. The one scenario that could get Mike Woodson fired. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kitty in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Derek Decker in for Justin this morning. Justin will return with us coming up tomorrow here on The Fan. And uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. We asked a question uh, going into the break. What's holding you back on Purdue? Someone said reality. Mm. Uh, Someone else said Purdue has lost to double-digit three uh, seeds three straight times. I get that, but they're playing in Indy for the first two rounds for the most part. Someone else, heartbreak is holding me back. Heart can only get broken so many times. Sounds like a country song. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, and one other text at 46862. 
three-point shooting, if they go cold, they won't win. Someone else, I think, and, and it's been, been covered over is Edie getting in foul trouble is, is another reason. Yeah. Okay, that one's that a one, realistic one. That one is fair because they do struggle. I, I think they struggle less offensively, but they do struggle on defense. I, you could imagine a scenario. I mean, this happens, right? That That's probably the most genuine concern of anything that anybody's brought up all day is Edie gets in foul trouble early in the game, like six, seven minutes in. Okay, has to sit a chunk of the first half. Doesn't mean Matt Painter's going to go full Mike Woodson mode and just sit him the entire time. But that that's a reality check for uh, a team that, you know, this is a long-standing argument in the Big Ten, right, is it's officiated so much differently. Purdue is one of the fewest fouling teams in the country, by the way. They, they are one of the bottom teams in the country in foul rate in a good way. And so will that change the NCAA tournament? Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get hosed. You know, teams will play them differently. It's tough to, to gauge this when you play the same teams all the time, right? Like everybody in the Big Ten has a plan, for how to play Zach Eady. Okay, when you when you play a team that you don't see, maybe they do have a different plan of attack. So that that one is for real, and there's a, a very decent chance that when he's off the floor, Purdue could struggle immensely on defense to get stops because you see the C's open up and you don't have a 7-4 dude standing in the middle of the paint anymore. It's like, hey, we can actually take it to the rim now. That could change teams' offense. And the other thing, and we saw Minnesota, right, have success, but they still lost the game. They got Eady in foul trouble. They still lost... Obviously, Ohio State got the win. Edie was in foul trouble in that game, but fouls generally are not an issue for him yeah. throughout the season. Uh, someone else, turnovers and athletic guard play, and that that's another good... Turnovers have been kind of the one thing you could point to with this Purdue team as far as a, a data point of concern, mm-hmm. But and that's been no. They're, they're mid-level, though, when it comes to turnovers. They're not uh, far one direction as far as really few turnovers or Agreed. a lot of turnovers, so... That's one. And then athletic guard play, yes, right? Athletic guards in the tournament, always a concern because as good as Braden Smith has been, he is still undersized compared to a team that perhaps would have bigger guards. But that's the stuff that you get concerned about mm-hmm. Sweet 16 on. I'm that glad is, there's, those there's aren't some... like first and second round concerns, really. Yeah, to that's me. true. That's true. And I also do appreciate some people being reasonable here and not just saying, oh, they've lost all these yeah. times in a row. like These, these are real concerns. The, the narrative is the narrative, but every season, I mean, is a separate data point. I mm-hmm. get that you can look to trends, and in March there's been a trend with the double-digit seed losses. Yeah, but, and a trend that continues, by the way, in terms of overall tournament success with every Big Ten team, I might add. Yes. The, the so Big this Ten... This is an entire I mean, league problem. You, you look at a, a league that, of course, hasn't won a national championship since Michigan State in 2000, mm-hmm. And they're not even getting teams past the Sweet 16 anymore, which yeah. is maybe a far bigger concern with the style of basketball. Yeah, and these are like, the yeah, and, and your biggest brands too, like Illinois, Indiana, Purdue, these teams are failing to get past the Sweet 16. And those are traditional basketball powerhouses. And, and those are the teams that are expected to carry your league in the tournament. And they have all stunk it up in the last five years. But for Indiana and Illinois, it goes deeper than that. Uh, you know, it, it's been. It has been 20 years since either Indiana or Illinois has been past the Sweet 16. Isn't that hard to believe? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I mean, those great Illinois teams, right? That that was over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Brad Underwood's had a, a few different pretty good teams. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. have just laid eggs in the, the first round or the second round. Just so. a couple of years ago, right? With Kofi Coburn and mm-hmm. Io DeSunmu and, and that group. Yeah, and, and then Goody ended up coming on the floor and like playing a million minutes. Like, what a, what a random situation to be a part of. Like, 
but that's that's what always seems to happen. I know it's tournament play, but like that is always what seems to happen with Big Ten teams. Is like they end up facing a, a scenario that they never see in the regular season, and then you have to try and adjust on the fly, and you get beat. And it it's like the same playbook for every team that plays a Big Ten team every year. <laughs> well, and, and big man focused basketball. Yeah, that's part is of it. A struggle in March, and and. UConn has a big man, but he's not the focal point, right? Donovan Klingon's not the focal point. For he's UConn. legit, though. <laughs> he is. He's a great player, but he is not needed to be the the star. And maybe that's that's the biggest difference from UConn and Purdue. Let alone the fact that UConn has a lot more NBA players on their yeah, roster than yeah. Purdue does, and that's the key, right? You got to have like what four NBA guys to win a national championship, and you look at it for Purdue. They obviously have one obvious one, but then beyond that, that's where the kind of the question marks mm-hmm. begin. We shift from Purdue and talking about NBA players and in March success to Indiana. Uh, yes, they'll probably have one guy go to the NBA and clue where, but beyond that, March success probably not going to happen. This is a team that could potentially lose out the regular season and in the Big Ten tournament. Go Maybe. over. They've already lost four straight. We're seeing boos from fans at home games, an empty balcony at home games now. And now you pulled off this. This stat is just absurd to me. They're 0-6 against Penn State, Northwestern, Nebraska, and Rutgers in the Big Ten. First time they were swept by Penn State since the 2008-2009 season, which you got to remember was what? Crean's first year, and that team was a dumpster fire. And The year after that, by the way, was the last time that Indiana was below 100 in Ken Palm. So yeah, we're, we're so talking it, it, about we're, that level. We're talking about historic levels of futility for IU under Mike Woodson. Now, as someone pointed out on the text line earlier, IU still in the thick of it in terms of the Big Ten, which uh, just got to get him over the hump. Yeah, he's saying you, you two must have forgotten that IU is in the thick of it in the Big Ten. Yeah, well, that's what Mike Woodson thinks, and and Mike Woodson, to his credit, for the first time all season, did take a little bit of responsibility following the loss on Saturday to Penn State, saying I'm not happy with how I coach this team. I think I can take any team and win with it. I won't blame my players. I will always put it on Mike Woodson. I don't think he has. I don't. I don't think he's done that. But no. that's the first time he has. Well, first of all, yeah. said something to that level. Okay, all time the the reactions all together here. You've got the first thing is good. That he's taking responsibility for the loss. The one thing I do disagree with is I don't think Mike Woodson speaking of himself in the third person, which he doesn't do anymore. By the way, I miss that when he when he first coached Indiana when he started in Indiana, he was sitting on podiums talking about how Coach Woodson doesn't like that. <laughs> yeah, but weird. I, yeah, it's kind of weird, but. He doesn't have a track record of taking any team that he has and winning with it. He does not have a track record of doing that. Like, they won some last year. Like, of course, they made the, the tournament two years in a row. One of them took a huge run at the end of the season in the Big Ten tournament to get to the NCAA tournament to play in the first four and then get smoked by 30 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But uh, I, I don't think he really has a track record of saying... Like, it's not like this guy has some unbelievable win-loss record in the NBA either. It's not like... Uh, he's just some genius that's figured out how to win with any team anywhere. That's that's not really true. But other than that, I do appreciate him taking responsibility at least for the loss because all season long, even during like timeouts, I, I go back to the the Nebraska game the other night. He called a timeout after Galloway was working his butt off on defense and trying to guard Tominaga the entire second half. I thought he did a tremendous job on him. He gets free once, gets his first bucket of the second half. Mike Woodson calls a timeout and just rips Galloway on the sideline. Like, I, I, listen, I'm not I'm not saying 
personally, I, I think we have gotten to a point in like coaching culture where there is a little bit too much coddling with players. Like you feel like you can't really rip in any, anybody anymore, but you're, you're talking about a guy. You, you have to be fair when you're criticizing your players. And I think Mike Woodson has been a little bit unfair to his players calling him out every post game that happens that works like once a season where you can come out after like a three game losing streak we've got to have better leadership and that's on our guys that's not necessarily on me that you get that once a year not twice a week yeah <laughs> and, and that's what we've been seeing and calling out players by name who like saying Malik was awful like is that really helpful yeah what is that gonna do like oh he's gonna get motivated to get better except the problem with that is he's not in a position to succeed and he's not the problem anyway yeah he has not been great this month okay but he had some 30 point games earlier this year and uh, he was the reason they won a couple of those non-con games that they could have slipped up and lost against mid-majors so it he just there's no reason to do that it doesn't again there's a fine line between criticizing or laying into a guy and expecting success and motivating for success and then just plainly ripping into him without any plan for change now if IU loses out which is Mm -hmm. not out of the question nope and you have home games where it's not just the balcony that's empty which is whatever right the seats are horrendous if you've ever sat in them um but if you're you're looking at a hey wait 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 hold on they're, they're not good okay no. it's not it's not like being any other place but you, you know in the Big Ten you go to Breslin Center or you go to Chrysler or you go to Mackey or uh, you go into Champaign at State Farm Arena yes the the sight lines are different uh, not as bad I, as though like an NBA arena in a lot of cases I agree I I think I don't think it's that I actually sat up there for the for the IU Purdue game back in in January. Uh, again, which is the first time I've been up there in a while. Uh, I feel like w- once you get older, you have to sit in the balcony less, which is great. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not good, but it's it's not that bad. But Beyond if that. you're looking at a, a the lower bowl, so mm-hmm. to speak, the lower level, showing more and more empties, that's yeah. a concern. Oh yeah. Um, then you throw in IU fans' favorite target, Dusty May, who Dumb. FAU is not good enough this year. I mean, they'll make the tournament. And they'll probably be a, a 7, 8, 9, 10 seed, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. But this is not the FAU of last March, right? And, and that was a good regular season to, team yeah, as well. exactly. This team is not. But that's everyone's favorite IU target, of course, because he went to IU, whatever. Uh, but his camp uh, reportedly having preliminary talks with Ohio State. As Yes, everyone expects Sean Miller to get the Ohio State job, but Dusty May's group reaching out. Is there a point where, say, IU loses out and they lose on on Wednesday of the Big Ten tournament? Is there a point where IU people are willing to pay the twelve point four million or whatever and, and say we got to make a move because this is absolute freefall? Because this would be the the direct comparison to the end of the Archie Miller era, right? Mm-hmm. And how that ended. Yeah, and it took. Do you remember? It took no effort at all to get people to buy out the $10 million. There is zero financial hurdle that Indiana couldn't cross. They just bellied up tons of money for football. They found donors for football, of all things, at Indiana. Like, if they're able to do that, and they are, there there is no financial bar that Indiana cannot clear. So let's just put that in the back of the line. The, The question is, can everybody inside the athletic department staff mentioned earlier, Quinn Buckner, the trustees, everybody on the board, can they get behind that? And can that be convinced? Cause the money will be there if they can do that part. 
That's that, the important part. That would be nine straight losses. Now the right. the Archie team closed with six straight losses. It's you know what though, all reality. I think Indiana is probably going to sneak out a win in one of these last four games. They'll probably they'll probably find it one happens. Win. Mm-hmm. It does. You know maybe that's the the road game at Illinois at uh, Minnesota to like you know crush their NCAA tournament hopes or something. It's gonna be something random, and they're probably gonna get lucky because all the games they've won this year have all been close. They've blown out literally nobody. Uh, so I, they're probably going to win one. I don't know if that necessarily changes anything. I still think, you know, you get blown out on Wednesday at the big 10 tournament. Mm, that's still cause enough at this juncture for potential moving on. But one scenario we were talking about and joking around at the break, <laughs> if FAU gets on the eight or nine line, there's a good chance in my opinion, cause of play style, like we were talking about, uh, that they get in the same pod with Purdue. So they could play in Indy. Not saying FAU upsets them. What if he takes them <laughs> to the wire? But what if he does? What if he does? What if Dusty upsets Purdue? Of course, we're also assuming he hasn't taken the Ohio State job at this yeah. by this time, which yeah. is pretty likely. I mean, if he does take the job, it'll be after the season or after FAU loses. But there may already be an agreement by that time in secret that he's going to take the job after they lose in the NCAA tournament. That might happen. Who knows? Uh but FAU upsets Purdue in the round of 32 in Indianapolis. It would be hard to say that Indiana doesn't give him an offer to be Indiana's coach. Personally, I'm not a fan. Um, there's another another name out there, and let me let me throw this out there just for fun. Pat Kelsey from Charleston has yeah, been a name that's, that's been floated around. I've seen that around. Yep. Um, but it's again, you're also getting a mid-major guy that is 48. He's a little bit older than some other coaches. He's older than Archie was when he was at Dayton. He's winning at a place. I think that the more impressive part is he's winning at a place that hasn't always had a tradition of winning like Dayton. Dayton is what, what has been proved over the last five years is literally anybody can win at Dayton. It's a great program. They have a great following. It's a, it's the cream of the crop for a mid major. Um, but I don't think it's unreasonable to expect there could be at least some loud talks I don't think Indiana would fire Mike without a real plan soon. I think they would be within a week or a week and a half. And as we found out with the football search, now basketball is definitely different, but we found out with the football search that Scott Dolson was gauging interest weeks before the end of the season. So whatever, when Tom Allen lost the bucket game, it was already decided that he was going to be fired, whether he would have won that game or whatever. It was pretty much decided with like four or five weeks left in the regular yeah, the, season. The Rutgers game felt like the make or break point. Exactly. So is that already happening? Maybe there are some feelers that have been put out. A couple phone calls have been made for those third parties because that's how these things work. They end up you know, rolling through a middleman where they call a middleman who knows the head coach who's working through him and then they relay through that because the, the direct contact thing. So I don't know. I'm not sure what calls have been made. I don't know. But I would have the inkling that at least a couple calls have been made. Doesn't mean they're going to move on. I'm not saying the decision's made yet. Certainly there's some time to turn this around. And I think with the right portal class, Mike Woodson could have a decent team next year if he's able to retain a handful of these guys. And the reality of all that coming together is pretty low. There is You're staring down the barrel here at one guy in the recruiting class. Yeah, he's a, he's a five-star and he could be a tremendous college player. But you you know they already left an open scholarship seat this year. I don't know that there's a whole lot of confidence that Mike Woodson can build a roster at this point from what we've seen the first three years of his tenure. Well, and you look at the portal. I mean, so where's probably going to the NBA? Yep. And you have 
uh, Anthony uh, Walker and Xavier Johnson who've exhausted their eligibility. So right, there's there's three departures. Uh, McKenzie and Baca's transferring. Let's not get ourselves. Uh, Kayla Banks is transferring. Well, I will say though, um, yeah, you're you're probably right. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I think there's a chance that maybe. One of those guys could stay if they do go through a coaching change, pull like a Trace Jackson Davis who is in the portal, waits to see who comes back, and then whatever new coach gets hired. Maybe they go for a big splash and they go for Pocha, a big name that's already coaching somewhere else. Because again, unlimited money we're talking about for basketball at Indiana. Uh, Caleb Banks is transferring. I mean, he hasn't even stepped on the floor the last several games. CJ Gunn probably transferring. That's six guys as far as roster turnover. Uh, then you get into kind of Tougher decisions, uh, guys who you know have been been injured and haven't really played a whole lot. Uh, factoring in um, Anthony Lill's probably back. Does, does Trey Galloway transfer? It, thought of as untouchable, but the rumor mill that he could transfer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're looking at a minimum of six guys leaving this roster and probably up to eight or nine. Woof. So <laughs> you're talking about massive roster turnover. You have a program that's treading water that's only bringing in one recruit because they missed out on, on Derek Queen. Now, Woodson has been good at adding late ads in the recruiting class. True. But there's no momentum coming off this season, unlike the previous seasons, where he was a new coach. So you can sell that. Uh, and then NCAA tournament appearances. You can obviously sell that. You can't sell this season beyond, hey, you can be a starter. You can get immediate playing time here. <laughs> what do you do? But that, I mean, are you really <laughs> that's important getting for some guys, but that's not going to be the elite guys. Yeah. And also, are you getting the best guys mm-hmm. as far as fit in that scenario? Probably not. Someone pointing out on the text line at four, six, eight, six, two is we'll, we'll wrap this up. How does Scott Dolson ha- still have a job? Well, mm-hmm. no athletic director has figured out the basketball program since Bob Knight was fired. True. That's just the reality. Yeah. Yes. Fred, Fred glass had a good run. And he was a Tom different green. I will also say too, he was a different kind of AD. So yeah. I, part of it too now is you have an athletic-minded president. Where in the past, when you when you had Michael McRobbie in there with Fred Glass, Michael McRobbie cared nothing about athletics. Could not possibly care less. Didn't even like it. Stole you know they 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 funneled money all the time. They still do from the athletic department to the university. Um, and so it, it's it's one of those things. Um, but now you got Pamela Whitten in there who does care about athletics. She's at events all the time. She travels with teams all the time. Um. That that's part of it, and again, when when Scott Dolson's not making all the, the decisions, and I we had a text earlier that said, you know, Quinn Buckner's only one vote. Trust me, he carries way more weight than one vote with the basketball program. Maybe not for other stuff. When you talk about football, he wasn't the loudest voice in the room for football. I'm telling you, he is for basketball, and so that is the key guy that you have to take a look at uh, when you're making a potential coaching change. Coming up on the other side, uh, another favorite target of us for the Colts in wide receiver free agency. Likely off the board. Caleb and Kinney in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kinney in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Derek Decker in for Justin. Justin will return coming up tomorrow morning from 7 to 9. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. So... One of Justin's favorite targets for the Colts, likely off the board. Bengals reportedly set to franchise tag T. Higgins uh, as their number two wide receiver, who I would argue is still better than the Colts' number one wide receiver. Mm -hmm. 
uh, will stay in Cincy, limited to just 11 games last season. Still had more touchdowns, though, than Michael Pittman Jr., averaging over 15 and a half yards per catch, which says it all. I, I've said this at length. I'm not sold on MPJ as a wide receiver one because he's a possession guy. He has no game-breaking ability. And I, I talked about this before. I made the argument for Mike Evans, who it's also looking like the Bucks are now working on a new deal for Evans after they let a deadline pass last week. So they're working on an extension. Mike Evans had more, more touchdowns, uh, almost as many touchdowns last season as Michael Pittman Jr. does in his entire career. Now, granted, he had Tom Brady for a couple years, but he had Baker Mayfield last year. We're talking about a, a mid-level quarterback. The Colts had a, a have had a myriad of quarterbacks over the years from uh, Carson Wentz, who had a great season for the Colts, uh, at least statistically. Uh, you had Matt Ryan, who stunk it up. Uh, you had, uh, obviously, Gardner Minshew last season, Anthony Richardson. You throw in Sam Ellinger for, for a bit mm-hmm. as well. Philip uh, Rivers before Phillip that. Philip Rivers, yeah. So, like, yeah, he's not had elite quarterbacks to work with, but Mike Evans didn't have an elite quarterback. T. Higgins had Jake Browning for the majority of, of the season. <laughs> he missed games, still had more touchdowns than MPJ and a way better average per catch. Like, I just, I understand the Colts are going to keep Michael Pittman Jr., but the narrative that he is this, like, can't miss guy, I just simply don't buy. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you've kind of convinced yourself as, like, as a franchise and try to market him as the guy. But you're making something out of nothing here. He, he just—I'm not saying he's a—he's a, a bad receiver. I think he's a nice piece to have on the team. But you're right. In my opinion, he's—he's he's better in a supporting role than as the lead guy because you just cannot have. Um, uh, you know, he's not going to win games for you. Like he's not gonna. You can't throw it to him 15 times in a game. You know, a guy like Mike Evans is a guy like that where he's gonna have a couple games a year where he's just gonna get targeted all the time because he gets open constantly. And and yes, Mike Evans is older. He's 30, but he has 10 straight 1,000 plus yard seasons. Mm-hmm. He's a future Hall of Famer at this rate. No question. Um, he's an elite receiver, and he's played with multiple quarterbacks throughout his career. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. Like again. No seasons with with double digit touchdowns. I mean, he he has fifteen in four years. Like we're not talking about a a can't miss kind of guy. So yeah, if I'm the Colts, I franchise tag him, but use the non exclusive. The problem is the Colts are bidding against themselves with Michael Pittman Jr. because no one else is gonna want to pay franchise tag or long term extension money for MPJ. And the Colts aren't aren't prone to use the tag as well. I say this every time. The last time they tagged a guy was in 2013. That guy's now working on ESPN and Pat McAfee. It's not something they do. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board with all of that. Uh, also, random thing. I just, I have to plug this before we get to the Florida man thing. Cause I, I want to yeah. get I'm excited about that. Uh, Richard Sherman getting arrested for DUI yeah. over the weekend. That's, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like his second. Something like that. Yeah. Incident, maybe not DUI, but second such you know incident with the law over the last I don't know year or so. Right, eh, it's not great. No, not not a good look. No, uh, a couple texts. Uh, CK, should we feel confident about Ballard finding a wide receiver who can be a number one in the mm. draft? Then no, there's no again no track record. No, doing that, and he, he he's found a slot guy and he's found a number two who the Colts treat as a number one, <laughs> and that's about it. Alec Pierce, right? Still waiting for him to to be. Yeah, he, I mean, he was going to be the breakout player, yeah. right? Has not happened. Someone else, <laughs> CK, teams aren't game planning for Higgins. That's designated for Jamar Chase. I understand that. Yeah. 
But Higgins is a better player than Michael Pittman Jr. That's my point. Uh, you, you could throw in Tyler Boyd and, and think that he could be a, a at that level. The, the Bengals have just a plethora of wide receiver riches that the Colts simply can't touch uh, at, the, at the moment. Um, so that's just the, the reality of the situation. All right, wrapping things up, we got about a, a minute left, and of course I have to explain the entire Florida Man story, but the, the Florida Man games, they actually happened over the weekend in St. Augustine. There are great events, brawling, drinking, gunfire, reptile wrangling, and other antics uh, as far as the state's bizarre stories. Well, they kind of riffed on that. They had a star-spangled banner on electric guitar uh, to start things off. Uh, the first event was uh, winning a, a like an eating competition, <laughs> plate of loaded barbecue pork and sausage. Um, other events, including dueling in muddy water in an inflatable pool, pummeling each other with weapons made from pool noodles and duct tape. Now, there was a theft simulation relay, nice. which competitors race while toting a pair of bicycles, copper pipes, and catalytic converters. <laughs> <laughs> the creativity of this is amazing. And... Uh, they also had contenders wrestling sumo style while holding pitchers of beer, running from actual sheriff's deputies while jumping fences and avoiding obstacles. And then there was a, a scramble to grab cash, flying in simulated hurricane winds. $45 per ticket. They had a, a lot of teams. They expected ticket sales to exceed $5,000. Wow. That, that is, I would, I would pay to see that. Yes. Uh, I would pay quite a bit to see that, honestly. Uh, that, that, is, that is like the most entertaining day of all time. That's like their, your best weekend. Take your wife on a date to go watch that. <laughs> the Florida Let's go see it. <laughs> and and uh, one of the judges was a former American gladiator. Uh, oh, nice. And, and, and saying that, Hey, we need a, a Florida woman games as well. Uh, Lori ice Fetrick, who was uh, mm. on the show, American gladiator same. So maybe we'll see that in the future. Nice. I'll, uh, I'll book my tickets early. <laughs> Thanks to Derek Decker for filling in. I'm Caleb Atch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.